Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're going to try my internet, Dan. Damn. Can you hear me all right, um, Damien? More or less. Keep trying. We'll see. Oh, actually, I guess we're not going to keep trying. Anyway, we haven't really figured out who should do the introduction. I guess I will. Um, of course, in about eight and a half hours, at least that's the not before time, there's going to be the Rafael Nadal Dominic team first turn match in Brisbane, which is actually quite, um, well, quite a big story. Of course, they haven't played in a long time. And also, of course, with Rafa, this being his first match since uh, almost a year. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it was such a big story when team was already playing the qualities, right? Because yeah. uh, once he qualified, there was basically like a 1-6 chance that he was going to draw Rafa. And obviously his qualifying was a big story in and of itself because he was down 2-6-3-5, left 40 in his first match, right? Um, so when he when he comes back from that and then... On the return uh, as well. Well, on the return, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was uh, that was big. And then and then he was down a set in his next qualifying match as well. So to come through those two and then, and then to play Rafa is like just, yeah, like already a miraculous start to the season uh, for, for team. So many things happening at once, but like... I wonder if this will just, you know, make him play a little bit freer, play with some more more house money, if you like, uh, maybe. But there's just so many unknowns about this matchup. Like, how does Nadal look uh, for the first time in over a year? 
and uh, you know, like how is this movement? How is the serve? Like those are all the things we'll be looking for. Quick question, by the way, to you, to you both: Was the draw rigged? <laughs> do you actually believe that Dominic Team and Rafael Nadal were, you know, put in by someone into the draw in order for them to face each other? I know it's a one point, well, you know, one in six chance. It's like sixteen point six. But still, like when I see something like this, I'm generally not one of these people who, who go out, you know, screaming that draws are definitely manufactured and like every single thing is just, you know, planned by the WTA or the W or the ATP or whoever. Uh, but when I see something like this, I mean, <laughs> honestly, never really felt in doubt that there's going to be Team Nadal. You know, when, it, when, when you saw that Dominic team has qualified... I mean, it just seemed like the most likely option. And of course, yeah, it's just a one in six chance. But um, this is the sort of case that actually gets to me, like where I think that, oh, okay, this is very possibly a thing. I, I'll actually disagree with you. I think uh, the the best tweet I saw on this was from a Courtney Wynn who said, um, tournaments don't want their superstars to play in the first round. They want them to last as long as possible. Mm. Mm, but but these superstars are like very fragile right now. Yeah, you, you but, have no guarantee that they're gonna go any deep. That that's a good point. But but I also think that um, in general, like this discussion only happens when we get a big match in the first round, and the rest of the time, which is most of the time, really, we never really say like, oh, that draw wasn't rigged. It's only when we get a clash of the Titans like this where we think um, something could have happened. I don't know. I guess like, since I can't find evidence for it, I, I guess I'll say that um, it was normal. But what, what do you think about? Uh, I don't know. Like I usually have a tough time thinking like it was rigged or manufactured like behind closed doors and stuff. Like, I mean, like these draw ceremonies, I wish like they did it live and it was like a whole show that like fans can just tune in for and it's like available to watch and stuff. I mean, then we'll like, we just know, we just have complete closure. Like it's not rigged at all. Cause then it's like, I mean, the whole world is like seeing it. So I, I don't really know. I don't really have a clear opinion. I'm totally in the, um, you know, team of conspiracy theories here. I will put on my you know, teen hat on and, and tinfoil hat on and, and just uh, keep saying that this was rigged. But still, um, I'm quite excited for it. You know, <laughs> They haven't played in, in a while. Um, certainly, it's a matchup that on hard courts, I feel like we haven't really had all that much, even though the recent years have helped with that. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty huge for sure. Yeah, well, one other thing that just occurred to me on this, though, is um, like... No matter who Nadal played, everyone was going to tune in, though, right? Like, did they really need team for additional no. drawing power? No, not really. But, but yeah, I'm, well, like you, Damien, I'm I'm super excited for this. I think um, in 2020, like it it was amazing that their matches, even though there were only two of them, they played six sets, and I think five of them went to tie breaks. Um, so that's all won you. by team, right? Yeah. Uh, all tie breaks are won by team, which is a bit yeah. of a quirk. I was I was reading through the head-to-head uh, -head today, and I just, wow, okay. Yeah, so I think that tells you on what kind of even terms they were on in 2020. But um, what do you guys think is going to be the case now? Yeah, it's, uh -huh. a, it's a tough, it's a tough question because, I, I mean, I think the odds have have Nadal as a slight favorite, 
I would probably probably agree with that. Like, I mean, it's like team is just you know like he he was he, he was one point away from losing in the in, in the first round and in general I just haven't been very high on him for like over a year now. Like, just haven't seen the best version. But I almost think if he, I almost think he needed to play one of Nadal or Djokovic so they kind of work his way back into the team that we know, like closer to that version of team. And he might just start like hitting his forehand a lot bigger again because he kind of has to. Um, and I kind of wonder how, how like Nadal will sort of react and use his, use his own forehand as a weapon because like for a while between like 2019 and 2021, like team was really taking it to these guys. Um, like with his backhand in, in particular, but his forehand was such a massive weapon as well. And he was just like teeing off on every single ground stroke and just like had so much confidence going for him. And I just wonder, like, I don't know, since that wrist, since that wrist injury, I mean, it's just like, he, he just hasn't really been even close to that version that we've seen. So I, I just, I just wonder like, how will it, how will the forehand hold up? And like, if, if playing Rafa is just going to make him, be a lot more proactive and aggressive in general off that wing. Yeah, maybe it's wrong, but I'm not really looking at it in terms of like Dominic team. I'm just looking at it in uh, like, uh, do I want to take Rafa against a uh, average 100-ish ranked player at the moment? Because that's kind of what team has been since he returned from that injury. Um, is there really a way forward for him? We'll see. I mean, the, the forehand definitely lost a lot of its shape, quality, you know, the, the combination of pace and spin. But, um, yeah, I'm more so looking at, like, the match rhythm that team has and comparing that, of course, to Rafa, who hasn't played in ages, who had surgery in June and then had a long period of recovery. So he hasn't actually even practiced, like, all that much. Of course, he's had a pretty good um, swing, but he's also 37 now. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's probably a little closer than the odds have it, just because, yeah, I, I'm just looking at team. I, I know he's nothing special right now. I know he struggled in the qualifying, but just in terms of the, the match rhythm, the sort of, um, yeah, the amount of tennis that they've had in, in recent times and also the, the health, which, of course, for team, we might still argue that the forehand being worse now is still like still the... Um, what, you know, a leftover from that Twitter wrist injury, but still, he's been relatively healthy otherwise recently. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a match where we basically cannot say anything, right? There was even that um, doubles, of course, uh, performance of Rafa yeah. uh, with Mark Lopez against um, Purcell and Thompson. I feel like Rafa didn't really do much in that, in that at all like Mark Lopez yeah. was praised a lot for the volleying of course Mark Lopez also coming back after a while he retired in um in Madrid partnering uh, partnering Alcaraz he's back he gets all the praise Rafa hits like one good backhand which gets posted on his TV and you know it, it's a fine shot but I feel like it was mostly uh you know sort of this ubiquitous on tennis Twitter and the likes mostly because it was the best shot that Rafa hit in the entire match. I'm not saying this really bodes, you know, well or or not actually well for, for his comeback. I have no clue because I just feel like the doubles game is so different and um, even the, the range of movement that he had to show and obviously the patterns of play. Um, I basically try to not take like nothing from that doubles match, but it's good for him that he had it, you know, at least mm -hmm. one hour on the court, just shake off some of the rust. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's a wild match to predict for sure.
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to disagree slightly with the odds and say that I slightly favor team here. Um, and um, going off what, what Vonch said with the forehand, that has been the thing that is missing. You know, like he still, team still hits backhands down the line winners. But like you said, Damien, he is basically just a fringe top 100 level player now. And I think the biggest reason is when he was on top, that forehand was up there with the best in the world. And um, have you seen the show Modern Family? Um, I know what it is. I haven't watched it actually, but so th there's a scene where a character is trying to walk across a tightrope in his yard, and he mm -hmm. puts it like two inches off the ground so that when he falls, he's going to be fine. And then someone says to him, and then he keeps falling. And then someone says to him, maybe the reason you keep falling is that you know you can. And then he moves the tightrope way up and he walks across it. And I think a similar thing is kind of going on with Team in the sense that he doesn't want to hurt his wrist again. And so he takes pace off the ball and his forehand has suffered as a result. And I I agree with Vonch's point that if he plays in Nadal or a Djokovic, maybe he knows he can't get away with that. And it, yeah, that's exactly the photo. Um, maybe he knows that um, he can't get away with it. And so it'll sort of return to the forehand of old. Um, and I think if that is going to happen against anyone, it would be against a Djokovic or a Nadal. Um, because when they played back in 2020, team really, really got up for those matches. Um, he was hitting sledgehammer forehands the entire time. Um, maybe that forehand is gone completely. Um, and if it is, then it's obviously going to be a tougher match for him. But if it isn't, like if there is still a trace of it there, maybe it comes back against Rafa. Uh, is there anything to that, do you think? Yeah, uh, I mean, I definitely expect team to have a lot of intensity. Um, this has been maybe missing at some points as well. Of course, he's had some very good performances like the Keith Beehill final, but the consistency in 2023 wasn't really there. Like some sets of that season I can remember were like probably some of the worst that I've seen team play. And it wasn't yeah. about the forehand quality. It was, you know, literally him dumping everything in the net. I don't think that's going to happen in this match. Like he, at least, you know, in theory, he should come out really hungry and just, mm -hmm. yeah, try to... Uh, do whatever he can, you know, whatever that his best will be. I, I do think that he is going to show it. I, I have no clue what that is at the moment, obviously. And then as, as we've been saying in the qualifying, he didn't look that great. But I guess in the in the history of their matchup, you know, the 15 matches that they've played, they, there weren't really any major dads, right? Like, I'm not talking about the first match that they played because it was like so long ago. And obviously, yeah. that was a massive favorite. There was one... Rangaro's final, which was very easy, but that's like, you know, Rafa was too good. That wasn't really a team problem, I don't think. Yeah, ATP Finals 2020, the round-robin match, which team won into two tiebreaks, Jane, is the last time that they played. So, um, yeah, I think anytime they really uh, faced each other, they were actually, like, you know, at each other's throats, and um, mm -hmm. it was always a very intense duel. I think that should still apply. Like, even yeah. if you get these guys playing in 10 years... Of course, you're not going to get that. But let's say Djokovic and Nadal face each other in 10 years. They would still like go at each other with the same kind of drive motivation, I think. So, um, yeah, I, I would probably say that there, there hasn't really been a match like this. And I don't think it's going to happen. Like They're going to be very motivated to get this mm -hmm. one. I don't know what that will bring us because, well, who knows what they can really give you at the moment. But, but yeah, they should have it. Uh, really like a, a lot of uh, fire in them yeah I, I agree with you and I I did also want to make the point that um 
as much as we look at team as kind of the diminished version of himself that he is, I think the same could go for Rafa. You know, he he barely played in 2023. He looked bad in the second half of 2022 and hasn't really been a strong version of himself since the French Open in 2022, maybe Wimbledon 2022. So, you know, who, who knows what version of him shows up? Um, I think it's I think it's possible that he, like you said, Damien, he is 37 now. So, um, but yeah, I, I do really like that since they were rivals, I think they will bring it. And so even if that is between diminished versions of themselves, the intensity should be there, even if the quality is not necessarily. Yeah, I sort of missed like a good chunk of this discussion because my phone battery died. But um, yeah, do you guys have any thoughts in terms of like tactics you could be expecting from either player? This is just a hunch, but I think Nadal is going to try to target the backhand. Uh, not sure where I get that idea, but... Uh. <laughs> Left-hander against the one-handed <laughs> bucket? No, there's no way he's going to go there. No way. Really going on a limb there, yeah. Yeah, um, but, but it is interesting because Team has proven as capable of handling that tactic as anyone with a one-handed backhand, really. You know, I mean, Federer is the main example, and I think... You know, Federer is obviously a much better player than Team, but I think Team has maybe been even more successful in that ad court exchange than Federer. At least Federer was sure. before 2017. Before um, 2017, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. There are a few one-handers that kind of handle it, and that, that's like Team Vavrinka, which is not surprising given that they have a lot of similarities also in terms of their like play style and, and technique. So, yeah. Absolutely. It's not as big a problem for team as it is for other one-handed players. And right now he kind of has to play like different tennis, you know, not as reliant on the ball bashing as before. But as you said earlier, Owen, I mean, the back and down the line is still there. So um, if it is firing, it's going to be a major asset anyway. Yeah. And I, I also think that um, maybe Nadal if he's aware, which he definitely should be, that the team forehand is not what it once was, maybe go to that side a little more, you know? Like, you don't you don't necessarily want to play that backhand into rhythm if that backhand is now team's best shot, you know? Give that, chance, give that forehand a chance to completely fall apart. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's not going to be expecting that same sort of level of danger. Uh, I think, yeah, people just very often to me forget how team played in his prime. Like he just literally smacked every ball. And, and right now that's impossible. And um, well, we'll see. Maybe, maybe as we said, maybe with that fire, maybe with that motivation, he actually finds it. But he definitely plays a very different style now. Whether it was by design, I mean, most likely not. But, but well, he had to sort of change some yeah, aspects of his game. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, and, um, it, you know, it is in the in the caption here, uh, nostalgia. And um, what you just mentioned, Damien, that team used to bash every ball. Um, 
do you guys want to talk a little bit about their their matchups of old? Like for those who don't know, how how good was this matchup at its best? Well, in twenty twenty, like their ATP Finals match was really really high quality. Like, um, yeah, like seven six seven six. I remember some of the points that they were playing in that in that match was just like ridiculous because like, you know, I mean, Nadal was playing very well in twenty twenty at the ATP Finals, and he was like sort of always putting his uh his 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 best like serve plus one performances and like really like targeting teams backhand in a big way but teams like just always had the answer even like deep in his backhand corner he would just dig out these like incredible gets and then like just somehow track the next ball down on his forehand and he would just they would have these like extremely high intensity like rallies where it was just like it was just and it almost it almost seemed like in the biggest pressure pressure moments like team had the confidence to just go bigger and bigger and bigger on his forehand and he just never missed in 2020 it was it was pretty wild how he kept doing it over and over again and how replicable it replicable it was and like I don't know like Nadal just found himself on the back foot so often and like back then I've I do kind of wonder the the biggest question mark was it's just going to be like how well does Nadal defend now because like I mean if he's anywhere near where he was at in 2022 he can still win a lot of matches like you know, with his forehand and with just like with his racket talent is still so good. He's still got like so many other tools, but I just sort of wonder, like, yeah, how, how good is his movement going to be like right off the gate? Like, I believe he only started training like a month ago, like in full flow. So yeah. like five like, months of, of rehabilitation months. after yeah. the, the surgery. So yeah, more or less one, one, two months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but at the same time, I feel like he, team is also another matchup where he's gonna have a lot of he's gonna find be able to find some rhythm, right? Because like team is at least gonna be wanting to stand back really far back on the return, and you know Nadal's gonna have to hit like a lot of shots that way too. And uh, so, yeah, like it's not it's not somebody like a Karatsev or a Safiulin where he's just gonna you know basically be on the back foot more more often you would think, and like sort of like the more erratic like aggressive baseliner. Like this is still more to to like clay court centric players at the end of the day who have just like adapted their game really well to hard court. Yeah, like if if Rafa wins this match, I think, and Karatsev is in the second round, uh, I don't think it's gonna go well for him. But but yeah, this is this is much more manageable. Like even if he loses this, yeah. he's gonna get a lot of good rhythm out of this. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah when it comes to the rivalry, um, interestingly, it's the hard court matches that are the most memorable. Even though there was a large part of the, um, let's say, 2018-2019 season when they were clearly the best two players on clay. But still, uh, most of them, like even when Timo was winning, most of them were straight sets and there wasn't anything that, you know, amazing in their 12. I think the Buenos Aires one, the first one, was was yeah. a real classic. Yeah. That was, sorry, the second one, well, the first team win was a real classic. Definitely remember watching that as, uh, you know, I wanted to say as a kid, I mean, I was 17, but still, <laughs> it feels so long ago by now, you know, it just feels like a very different time um, uh, when I was yeah. when I was still watching that, you know, living with my parents, etc. But um, also, um, I think that that one French Open final, uh, it could have been a real, uh, like, you know, top 10 list of the decade or whatever. But after the first two sets, team just completely lost all that intensity and i guess it's a, it's of course credit to rafa because he managed to withstand the attacks for two sets still claim one of them and team just didn't have it uh, you know didn't have it uh, left in the tank but 
uh, I think that one is is one of my like missed uh, opportunities in terms of you know the potential of us getting like an absolute classic match that we sort of got two sets off and then it absolutely died. Of course, the other French Open final that they played was much much easier than that. Yeah. And um, yeah, just to respond quickly to John's note there about the 2018 U.S. Open quarterfinal, um, to me, that's by far their best match. It was a classic, absolute classic team comes out blasting out of the gates, bagels Nadal in the first set, which is kind of unthinkable at the time, right? Like Nadal was having a very good 2018. Uh, One Roland Garros was pretty close to winning Wimbledon, um, had that thriller with Djokovic, of course. And so when team bagels him, it, it was pr- it was pretty shocking to me, but then Nadal slowly works his way into the match, and the last four sets were all very very tight. Um, came down to a thrilling tiebreak in the fifth set. Um, there was one rally late in the fifth where a uh, team is just crushing overheads, and uh, Nadal is getting them back. And finally, Nadal hits like a rocket backhand cross court pass, and team hits a winner anyway off a stretch volley. Just uh, incredible stuff like that. Um, and then finally, uh, Nadal wins it off a missed team overhead. And I, if I'm remembering right, I think that was the match after which team said something like, "This was like his first real like hard loss," and he uh, he was sort of learning um, like that what the next step for him w- was after that loss. Uh, does that sound right? It's possible. Yeah, that was sort of the match that like really made you think like, okay, now team is ready to like win big titles on hard courts. Because like up until that point, you know, his there was still like quite a bit of a delta between his clay court, hard court results against the best players, until that twenty eighteen U.S. Open. And so in a way, like that kind of, even though it was like a really tough loss, it kind of showed that like okay, he's he's starting to like adapt and make the right adjustments to be able to like you know win on faster surfaces too. And then of course, then he like yeah starts playing well even in indoors and like some of the faster hard courts. Um, but yeah, like up until then, it was kind of a question mark. Yeah, he was always like three meters behind the baseline, always the same stroke, regardless of the ball. Uh, but eventually, of course, in time, we we now have Dominic team with well, basically all of his best results on hard courts, which yeah. uh, is wild. It is, it is absolutely wild to think about it. I think the discrepancy is definitely not as huge as you would you would think, given that he has well the two biggest titles and the two ATP finals. Uh, runner-up appearances as well, but uh, but yeah, certainly he got closer. Some discussion as well, as well in the chat about that and like Rafa's all court prowess and etc. Um, but yeah, of course, these topics have been talked about many times. I still think that that uh, though, um, like the top ten record of Rafa of clay, it's really poor actually, like for a player of his standards. But of course, he has eight slumps outside of Ron Garros. So what are we even talking about really? I remember there was a there was a point though when people like actually could argue put arguments into the fact that well maybe Nadal is not like an all-time great of, of clay. But of course that died with you know him winning all these US opens later on and and of course also Australia 2022. Um I would I would agree with John as well here that team Definitely had a better peak to me than than Nadal at some point at least on hard courts in that in that stretch. Maybe not the full three years. Mm, I'm not yeah. sure about 2018, but like 2019, 20. Yeah, yeah sure. I think if Team won that ATP Finals final, I mean, you could have easily put him as the Player of the Year in that short season that we got. Hmm. But it's just, yeah, like at some point, 2019, 2020, he was top two, like. Yeah, top two yeah. for sure in 2020, and number one is like 
you know, okay, maybe yeah. possible. Yeah, I, I I remember thinking at that 2020 World Tour Finals that Team impressed me more than Medvedev, even though Team lost to Medvedev in the end because of the versions of Nadal and Djokovic that team beat in that tournament um by the way know. sorry but ghosty has just donated 20 dollars. thank you uh, nice. thank you my Very friends nice. happy new year to you as well um and yeah you know medvedev had also beaten both nadal and djokovic in that tournament but his match against djokovic was kind of djokovic didn't really push that hard uh, and it was easy straight sets but the team djokovic match team wins it in a third set tie break after being down four zero and i and I think for anyone who never watched Peak Team, that that's a good example of what he was like. Like, imagine anyone winning a tiebreak against Djokovic from 4-0 down. Doesn't happen, right? Team blasted the ball so hard that he could just run off like five or six points in a row by hitting 100-mile-an-hour winners, even against Djokovic. Um, and that was what he did at that tournament, and it was really exciting. John says that the Australian Open 2020 match, I guess, against Rafa is team's best ever, in his opinion. Um, well, it must be up there in like the top 10, right? I mean, personally, I would probably go for that Djokovic ATP finals. Mm. Uh, how early he took the ball as well there and just, yeah, again, just started smacking it. <laughs> Every single ball that came to him was just blasted and then everything was working. And yeah, I agree that that, that ATP finals campaign, he was more impressive than Medvedev. You know, the final, let's forget about it. Yeah, but uh, Djokovic <laughs> and Nadal, the matches that he played against them, yeah, that was that was peak team to me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that 2018 match, now that I think about it, that's kind of like Wawrinka losing to Djokovic in 2013. AR. Yeah, after after that, you kind of felt like, okay, this is like the turning point for both of them. But, well, I'm going to try not to be too sad about team and his wrist and everything that happened after 2020. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually agree with John that, that that match, the photo of which is up there right now, I think that was his best match. And I think that tournament team was one set away from achieving something really, really special because he beat, Vaughn, you can correct me on this, was it four top 10 players in that tournament? Yeah, he beat he beat Monfils in the fourth round and then uh, then Nadal, then, yeah, then Zverev in the semis and then Zverev. Yeah, right. So and, it would have been four if he, yeah. yeah. And, and people forget, even before that, he had a tough draw. In the second round, he had a five-setter with Alex Bolt. In the third round, pretty tough four-setter with Taylor Fritz. And then after that, Monfils, Nadal, Zverev. And then he's two sets to one up on Djokovic. And those of us who, who watched that final remember, team didn't even play at his best in that final. His backhand down the line was missing for a set and a half. And then... The last set and a half, he wasn't. I think the forehand went away a little bit. So when that was Djokovic, right? Like the the two sets that Djokovic lost, that was more so Djokovic going to sleep, right? That's fair. It was like Djokovic just, yeah, like he just totally ran out of energy. Yeah, I I, I tanked the third. Yeah, I I would argue the second set team won on his own merit because he. um, Okay. But but yeah, that 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 is fair. Um, and at the same time, I, I will say the the game's team got broken in the fourth and fifth set. I think he, a half donation, I would say. Yeah, of course, he also had those, like, two break points. If he, like, converted on one of those at the start of the fourth and went up a break, maybe that would have, like, put him closer to the end. And then, like, Djokovic, like, serves and volleys on a couple of second serves. Like, just totally mixes, changes it up, and then, like, somehow manages to hold. And then, yeah, it was... um, 
Yeah, but like I, I did feel like it in the in the fifth, like team was finally starting to run out of gas a little bit. Mm. And like he was so fit, like in his in his prime, like 20, 2019, 2020. Like it was just never a question mark with him. Mm. But yeah. yeah. This is a, a slight sidebar, but I remember in that Australian Open final, after the third set, I was thinking, team's going to win. And then the first game of the fourth set, Djokovic comes out, like, blasting forehands down the line, and immediately I'm like, oh, man, he just has too many backup plans. Like, of course, Djokovic is still going to win, because he had, uh, like, safety net after safety net when one part of his game was failing. Yeah, he literally kind of half-tanked that third set, and... Oh, yeah. returned with with more energy but yeah like um, when, when i'm thinking of team right now and you know after all the injuries it's just so good that he got that us open in the bag because it would be Ooh. it would be a nightmare if he didn't have it he really for for a while you know just deserved it but was kept running into nadal djokovic and still was beating these guys a lot like one of his best merits actually is his record against the big three i think which you know against all three players he has a well, a, a decent one at least. Of course, you're not going to be beating them, I don't know, 10 to 1 or something like that. But but he yeah. has a very good record against all of them. He was actually scary at his peak for all of them. Uh, but of course, some bigger matches, he actually lost to them as well, with the exception, I guess, being um, the final at Indian Wells. Yeah, he um, some of his matches against Federer are pretty underrated, I think. Like, there was that Indian Wells one, and... Um, the match they played at the 2019 ATP Finals, I think, um, team team beats him 7-5, 7-5 in a really, really tight match. Like, t- team had to win basically all of the 30 all-points to pull that out. Um, and it was after matches like that that, you know, got people thinking, like, team could really potentially beat these guys at the top. How about Madrid as well? Federer yeah, he saved a, saved a couple of match points in that one. Yeah. And Federer would have played Djokovic, I think, in the next round if if if, if he yeah. won. So that was a, a good story the, as well. I, I'm a little mad about that because it's four four on clay with Federer Djokovic, so that would have been fun. But yeah, I mean, yeah. and Madrid as well. That could give us a close match. Like if they played yeah. in 2019 in Rome, for example, uh, I wouldn't like Federer's chances. But <laughs> but in Madrid, yeah, sure. Yeah. He almost and, beat um, team. I mean, he almost straight set it. I guess they were like so close to beating in Madrid, but it like just never happened because 2009 as well. Like Djokovic had those three match points. Yeah. Uh, they both wasted match points in order not to face each other in madrid yeah the team win madrid no he only won indian wells when it comes to atp thousands yeah he did lose like quite a lot of big finals i guess yep he lost like seven i think he won and then he won the two he was pushing the big three but when he when he played them in finals outside of indian wells he was losing yeah yeah and and also team just never really was never really that good in the 1000 level events for the most part. Medvedev has more Masters 1000s than him on clay right now, which is pretty surreal to say. But, um, but yeah. team, team kind of always excels in the majors relative to, uh, yeah. to, to the, the best of three tournaments, aside from the ATP finals, I thought. Vavrinka, again, it's the same yeah. comparison. Like, yeah. if you give him two hours to tune in his ground strokes, back when he was still a ball basher, he's eventually very likely to start <laughs> beating you. And it's yeah. pretty much the same thing, yeah. In best of five, his chances would actually improve against, I don't know. Well, maybe not Nadal and Clay, because that's still impossible. But <laughs> uh, against Djokovic, for example. Yeah, the, I mean, the Vavrinka thing was really hilarious, because he would, like, go life and death for five hours with Djokovic at the Australian Open. And then they play in best of three, and it's like six two, six two for Djokovic. And it's like, 
<laughs> dude, why do you show up here and not there? But it worked out pretty well for him. Yeah. Yeah, he only played, um, he only had two other ATP 1000 finals, by the way, both in Madrid. So, um, yeah, definitely a bit of an underachiever in terms of that level, but four finals at the Grand Slam level. So even, even that shows you that he had more there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's been a theme today. Challenger TV is down as well. <laughs> Every, almost everything is down on the ATP website. And the, the graphics design is just... May, maybe they're changing it now, you know? Maybe they're actually in the process of uh, getting back to the previous structure. I, I hope, hope so. so. I, I, but... I actually really like the previous website. Like, it was easy Me too. To get information. Yes. Like, it was... Really packed <laughs> with, like, needed uh, the info that I need. In the first, literally, frame... Like if you enter the profile of a player, I had everything I need right away. And now it, yeah. it takes 10 clicks or maybe it doesn't even take clicks at all. Maybe it's just not on the website anymore. Like I have no clue where Curry High ranking is. I yeah, texted, I texted this to me today and I, and I still have no clue. Or like the ranking um, history, the history of a player's ranking, for example, it was so good when it was just like a literally yeah. a list and I could check you know um for example when a player was last outside the top 100 in a second now it takes a lot of like reading the graph and now it, it, it's absolutely awful and uh yeah the fact that we don't have career high ranking even on the website what yeah yeah it makes no sense thank god tennis abstract at least exists for like some of those other stats but it's... yeah we would actually be dead without jeff sackman i think i've said it many many times on these streams you know <laughs> i don't know if you if he has watched any but I, I think on these streams he's been mentioned by him a billion times but literally without his one-man project um a lot of tennis and broadcasting analyzing tweeting would be much tougher step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply um, I have to get going in a couple of minutes, but do you guys have any um, any other thoughts on this matchup um, or, or any other questions? No, I'm just <laughs> laughing at it's even worse than the Talking Tennis website. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. um, any other thoughts? Um, there was a question in the chat, uh, actually, well, sort of related to this. Is it impossible for a ball basher to win slams anymore? Uh, do we have any ball bashers right now, like who are actually good enough to threaten for slams? So, so this is gonna—I I feel like this. Everyone is gonna hate this, but like, obviously, he has like a billion dimensions. But Alcaraz does have a ball bashing yeah, dimension, yeah. you know. He Runa he as well. Like they can—they can play like this, but it's not their main thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So maybe Sinner, like... actually. Oh, Sinner. Yeah. All, yeah. all three. All three of them. Really. Yeah. Three all three of them can can ball bash. Sinner is yeah. actually the closest in terms of like his natural game plan to this. So yeah. maybe if he does it in 2024, as some people have predicted, including the guy uh, drinking a beer right now on the, on the, on the stream. What, what, what have I predicted, Damien? Sorry? <laughs> that Sinner will win a slam this year. 
Did I predict that? You said that the US Open, yeah. And I said Runa. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You don't remember that? Uh, yeah. uh, uh, uh. <laughs> And, you know, I think as well, like, and and he is, of course, another many, many dimensions, but I think what Djokovic did at the Australian Open in 2023 was not dissimilar to ball bashing, if you watch some of the some of the forehands he hit. Um, so I, I would say that a ball basher can win a major, but you need other dimensions to your game on top of that. So maybe you can't do it if you're solely a ball basher. Yeah, but but if, if Stan Wawrinka was in his peak at the moment, would he be winning slams? Good question. I I wonder if Djokovic just serves him off the court now with his current version. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if before Djokovic just sort of played stand into form on some of those matches and maybe like now he might just take the racket out of his hand <laughs> yeah. a little bit more and kind of actually like play with a little more variety like Federer used to do against Fabrinka and was a lot more successful or just, yeah, just serve it infinitely better than that. But like yeah, I mean, I mean, I still think like it's it, it, it is possible because like Sinner, Alcaraz, Runa, like they're all pretty complete. But it would just, yeah, you, you just need like a level of precision. You need like you need to be able to like just play every single different style possible, like to win a slam. Because like, how many guys actually win a slam? Like it's it's kind of like I, I've heard this take that's like once Djokovic leaves, like slams are just going to be open and like everyone will just have a, a chance and like the world number of 12 is like going to win a slam and I'm just like not really buying this because it's like you just look at all throughout history it's like usually the top five players like are you who is the last non-top 10 player to win a slam on ATP yeah well I guess Federer in 2017 but that's really <laughs> yeah he doesn't count he doesn't count yeah. which year was that um, sorry 2018 17 17 Australia yeah, yeah, but that doesn't I mean, that doesn't count. That doesn't. Count. Yeah, yeah. Um, even when Stan was winning, he was as high as three in the world. On where was Chilich ranked in 2014? Is open. Oh yeah, Chilich was was out of the top ten, but I think Delpo would have been in the top ten already by the time he won the U.S. Open. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I think it's probably Chilich. This um, this is a yeah. really sort of nasty way. It's a nasty way of looking at it, but is Chilic nothing wrong with him? He's a worthy Grand Slam winner, but is he the weakest Grand Slam winner in the last 20 years, 15 years? Just because there's barely been any Grand Slam winners. Like, if you if you only have 10 Grand Slam winners, then it's not really that much of a yeah. shame, right? That he's, that right. he's the worst. Oh, yeah. He might yeah. be the worst, but, like, if, if we get a regular era, and I, I know you guys have just said that, well, even in the past, it wasn't like everyone was winning slams. But still, in the 90s, you probably had like, what, 10, 15 more Grand Slam winners than in the 2010s. So if, if we put him in a group like this, he's not going to be the worst. If we put him in the 2010s group, yeah, sure. And and, and John, let, let's not forget Marin Cilic, 2022 Roland Garros semifinalist before our fair, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But you can't teach. Was it you can't teach that? Was it something I said? Yeah, yeah. That? We were in the stadium and Chelich hits a winner, and John goes, "You can't teach that, Marin." And I thought that was. So <laughs> <laughs> I had I've had a couple of drinks by then. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of doing commentary. I think at, at various points. With that, this is before we even talking tennis existed, but um. Yeah, I, I I just want to go back though quickly, but hopefully before Owen has to leave, I know Van has to leave as well. But I, I want to just flesh out a little bit on what I said in the chat earlier about that um, that 2020 performance of teams against Nadal. Four sets of just, I just thought 
And that's the other reason why, you know, you could look at the, the two sets he played against um, Nadal at the ATP finals that year and go, yeah, he was amazing then too. And he was, but this is four sets. And he was the better player in the first set. It was just Nadal sort of being Nadal and his experience put himself. He was he was the better player in the first set and suddenly Nadal is serving for it. Um, and you go, well, how did that happen sort of thing? Um, a, a little bit like when Nadal was serving for it against Medvedev, funny enough, the same year at the ATP Finals. I remember watching that going, how is he serving for the match here? Um, because, I mean, Medvedev was the better player. And, yeah, I just thought Tim was sensational that day. Every time he went for it, it was the right moment, the right time, and the right shot. Yeah, and um, I, I'm fully with you there. And, and John, I think Tim maybe only played two bad games in that entire match. I think the first was to go down that break in that first set. And um, it was a terrible game. And then, and then after that, he did not play another bad game until he served for the match. He gets broken, and then he comes mm. back to win anyway. So I think that was a great example of his mental, the mental fortitude you need to have to win a match like that as well. I mean, Nadal showed, and listen, normally when Nadal shows his teeth and shows his mental fortitude, it's because he wins the match. But actually, he showed his teeth and showed his mental fortitude in that match and still didn't win it. He kind of got Nadal in a way. Yeah. Um, that that in terms of mental uh, sort of strength in that match. When you said Nadal showed his teeth, I'm thinking of that clip where he does like did to Djokovic. <laughs> I, I think it's Australia as well. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that both clip. literally and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, there's there's a moment, by the way, in that tiebreaker where when Nadal challenges on a, on a, on a on a ball, and it's it had some it, the mo in that exact moment. It felt a little bit like the challenge in 2017, uh, but it was it, with, with the, the match point for, for Federer. But that was a ball that Nadal wasn't going to make and couldn't make. And so he challenges, of course. But in, in Nadal sort of shrugs like this and goes, well, I've got to try. I remember that shrug. And he does a kind of a similar shrug after challenging on, on, the, on the match point the team had in that particular uh, encounter where he's got a smash okay it's a difficult ish smash because one of those bouncing ones at the back court. but he just sort of shrugs and goes well i i think he was convinced at the moment but probably in the seconds that followed <laughs> maybe there was some doubt started to go in his mind but he was 100 percent right it was super close but it did land out and uh, hopefully the people in the chat know exactly what i'm talking about because i've kind of just given some assumed knowledge there uh vance do you want to reply to anything i've just said uh, no, I mean, I, I probably agree about the 2020 AO match. Like, I mean, I, I know, like, Nadal doesn't have the best record in tie breaks, like, re really the last three years, like, mm. against the very best players, actually. I mean, against team, like, especially way... that year, even. I mean, yeah. like, five tie breaks, I think. Yeah, so that was just, that was just the most surprising part of it, was just, like, how time and time again in the tie breaks, like, team was actually, like, to win five in a row, like, that year was just so impressive. Especially like yeah, just to go up two sets to love, and then like the whole performance in general was just like I remember thinking going going into it like team had a really really good chance, but to actually do it and not let it go to a fifth set just impressed so much, and it's just like it just takes you back to like what could have been, but like instead now I just wonder if this is like you know if if, if this might be the moment like we've been waiting to see like team kind of because we've seen like flashes of his very best like in the last. Year, year and a half, some of the matches against Tsitsipas, like Madrid, Wimbledon, you know, where he just hasn't quite gotten over the hump. And then I, and then, you know, after Madrid or Wimbledon, I was thinking like, okay, maybe if he can just have like that sort of one, if he can just finally get over the hump and win one of these type of matches. 
then you know maybe we could start to see something of the old and then he sort of had that one really good week in uh what, what was it like in Kids, was it Kitzbühel Kitzbühel where Kids he made Bill. the final yeah yeah and yep. he played that like amazing match against Jera in the semis and then but like really since then like we haven't really seen it so I just wonder I wonder if like this week itself could be like the turning point where he there was like that snake uh, and like no one in the crowd was like even moving <laughs> and then like he's yeah and then he just sort of has these like miracle moments where like he should pretty much not be alive right now but like maybe maybe this is like his his chance like when Nadal is just like coming back I don't, it's like there's like just so many unknowns in this yeah. match yeah they they had a practice set apparently the other day um I think Nadal but, won uh, it like 6-3 but it like doesn't mean anything all right, Owen, you've got to go, and I think Vance too, but just, Owen, one word from you. I yeah. think you probably already said it. Who's winning tomorrow? I think team's going to win. Uh, I don't trust Nadal's form after this long of a layoff. Okay. Right. Yeah. Great to talk to you guys. Hope it's a good match. Yeah, you too, Owen. Take care. Um, and just before you you both head off as well, I, I just want to sort of say something about Nadal has never been cool in a way in a for guys won 22 grand slams you think that you've got to have a pretty good nerve and he's got a very good nerve but he he's we kind of think of him more with with fortitude so he sort of fights through that more than like he'll he'll choke but then still win as i think mary carillo once said um and that's kind of what he's known for whereas i see somebody a bit like novak and going back somebody like edberg um sampras definitely as just being ice cool yeah, I think it was Steve Flink who like told me that like Djokovic is like the most clutch competitor he's ever seen, but like point in, point out, like match in, match out, like Nadal is the best competitor. Period. Mm. He I just has more in, more intensity, player. right? I mean, Nadal is just intense. Yeah. I don't. I yeah. guess he's not ice cool, but he's intense and like literally, you know, every point he's he kind of just treats everything life. like this every single point individually. Yeah, by like it doesn't matter the next point. So it yeah. so it is a version of being ice cool, but it definitely exhibits in a different way. I asked Tony Nadal, how does he do it? I remember and I referenced a match that he'd had fairly recently and when we had the discussion, which is a Wimbledon match when he was, I think he was up two sets to love. I think it was Sarundalo, but it could have been Barankas, but I think it was Sarundalo. He was up two sets to love. He then loses the third set. He's down a break and he's 15-40 on serve. And I'm just thinking, this is this is turning into a nightmare. He must be thinking the same. He's going to go into a fifth set almost certainly. He's probably going to go a double breakdown here as well. Blah, blah, blah. How does he, how does he, you know, compose himself? Before I knew it, he'd won the match, match in four sets. And I asked Tony, I said, how does he do that? And Tony didn't really kind of give me an answer in a way I couldn't quite. And I, I think it was, a, but he was sort of referenced the sort of one point at a time mentality. Win, win the next point and you're at 30, 40. He didn't say that, but that was what I'm, I'm interpreting from his answer. Win the next point, it's 30, 40. And suddenly you're maybe the favorite to hold serve on grass. And then suddenly you're only one break down and then get the break back and you're almost going to win the match from there. All right. Well, uh, 48 minutes on the clock um, and my internet finally is working fine, but that's no big deal. Vanch, big thanks for joining us today, by the way. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot. I'm looking forward to the match and yeah, just as excited as everyone else is. Yeah, fingers crossed it delivers. Fingers crossed it goes three sets and... Uh, 
Well, it could be. <laughs> no, it could. I don't know what I'm talking about. I was going to say it could be an early contender for match of 24, but we've got no idea. And um, that's the thing. We just, we've got no idea. No idea. I'm expecting trash, but it's going to be fun. It, you could, know, be, anyway. it could be trash. It could be trash. I'm expecting arguing. a total mess. But that's, a, that, that's also fine. I like chaos. Yeah. I, I, it doesn't have to be clean. It, it can be full. It can be a US Open 2020 final kind of esque. Yeah. If I indeed um, I'm I'm going to you know stay up for that or maybe wake up for that I actually don't know when I'm gonna go to sleep at all after New Year's, but if if I indeed watch it and there's gonna be a stream, I think it's just gonna be fun to talk about this much anyway, like regardless if it's good or not. So I, I don't really care if it's awful. I mean, there's gonna be a story because if if Rafa loses in a pretty bad way, if it's six four seven five. The, probably there'll be people going, well, there's a lot of good points for Rafa to look at, blah, blah, blah. But let's just say it's six two six one, and and Rafa just like throws in loads of unforced errors, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, and his movement is horrible. I even think the pra- watching him in practice, I don't think, I don't think his serve has ever been great, of course, but I even thought in practice, what I've seen, everyone's very excited about him in practice, but it's more about the ground strokes. I think the, um, the, 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 um, the, the, the serves look slow. They look slow, mm-hmm. even the first serves. But we'll see. Um, there's going to be a story one way or another, I think. Uh, probably going to be more than one story. And, um, yeah, I think uh, many people in the live chat. Good to see um, one or two people new in the live chat. Do hit the like button. And, of course, subscribe if you're new. Uh, we have reached 5,000, and now we're on the way to 6,000, 10,000, and it just keeps going. Do make sure you do make sure you check out, of course, the Eager and Carlos show. Eager and Carlos Twitter account, of course, reaching the 500 followers mark. Uh, talking, yeah, but uh, listen, right you guys, time, not doctored at all, not doctored at all. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but then, nor was nor was the 5K that we got it doctored at all with me talking to landladies. Uh, and uh, I say yeah, landladies. Misa, misa being from two other accounts. Yeah, yeah exactly. Misa, <laughs> when I say landladies, I don't mean I, I knocked on doors. Uh, and talking to those, that was just one man lady uh, yeah. who who subbed for me. But yeah, do check out the Eagle and Carlos show and obviously follow them on the socials. Uh, Bernardo Lopez here uh, asking, when does the match start? Well, it depends on where you are in the world. In uh, in Central European time, I think it's 9.30 a.m. Uh, at least that's when it's scheduled Not for. before, yeah, exactly. Not so, before. Yeah. But isn't that also generally in Australia often quite secure because... There's normally there's often a gap between the sort oh, actually, of how many one matches. Thing we didn't, one thing we Not didn't really. realize this match could be indoors, right? Because it's like supposed to be raining, like a lot. Oh, if, it, if it's oh. raining again, then yeah. But uh, there yeah. there was a lot of leftovers from yesterday, so the schedule is pretty packed. Yeah. That's why I I think it's possible that it will actually be delayed. But anyway, yeah. In I mean seven seven hours and thirty five minutes from here is when it is scheduled. It's not going to start before then, but yeah. when it's seven hours from now, we'll see. Seven hours and 35 minutes. My time zones are, are, I'm having to try and work out about five or six time zones when I'm having various conversations. Because, of course, we've Actually, got now you're Now John is like sandwiched between me and Damien because he's like yeah. five, exactly. Hours, exactly, <laughs> five yeah. hours ahead of me and four hours behind you. So it's, yeah. yeah. Then there's, I, I actually said to Nick today, I said, Nick, just talk to uh, Nick's in the UK, so even more reason for this. But just talk to me in GMT, Nick, because I'm, I'm I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Uh, because actually, he was being kind and trying to help me by talking in Central European time, and uh, yeah, um, 
Uh, I, I, Luke asking on Twitter, by the way, as well, a, a Radu Kana prediction. Vaj, if you've got to go, just just go by all by all means. By the way, and same oh, with yeah, you, Dave. Yeah, yeah Radu, I, I have like a couple of minutes. All right. Um, yeah. Well, actually, let's let's try and just sort of address this Radu Kanu question. I know we're here to talk about team and and Adar, but I think we've done that to the death now. Um, Radu Kanu. Oh, she's against Roos. That's not a bad first round for her, I think. Damien? You know, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I don't know. Rusa was in the final of Cluj, right, at the end of last year, and then she also mm-hmm. did something. What was it uh, right after that? Oh, she qualified, right? Did she qualify? No, no. What What did she do? She, I, I, Because I was writing up a, a, a quick prediction for this match earlier today, and I remember that after Cluj, she also did something. Let me let me check. Was it like an ITF event? Was it like what, what, what an ITF? No, it was a qual. It was qualifying. No, it was qualifying here. Of course, maybe beating Danielina, who's like a full-on double specialist right now, isn't huge. But oh. still, she's already beaten Niemeyer. She has a, again. She has a lot more rhythm. Um, yeah, I mean, we have no clue how Emma is gonna look. I know she's gonna be talking. She she was talking about like rediscovering her love for tennis. You know, similarly to Osaka, sort of. Um, I think it's a pretty tough in-form opponent in the opening round. Of course, she yeah. still has the talent to, like, you know, rock the world and win it and whatever. It's probably not going to be this event. But as, like, with many other players, uh, the biggest boost to her comeback would be winning a match and just getting more playtime. Uh, to me, it sounds very, very close. Um, yeah. And again, just like with Team Nadal, there are just so many things that we don't know yet. Yeah, she talked as well. I mean, I think with Emma, the there's a lot of intrigue for me, sort of, There'll be five questions and four of them won't tell you anything, but one that might tell you something. So there's been a few sound bites from her since she won that US Open. I remember one at Wimbledon she gave uh, where I kind of agreed with her, where she said, listen, the pressure's not really on me because uh, I've won a slam and 99% of the tour haven't. And I quite like that response. And yet yesterday she spoke in a very different vein when she said, uh, or it might be the day before, when she said... Um, she said that she'd felt that weight of expectation after the US Open win. Because what she said sounded nice that, you know, two years ago, but it wasn't actually true. <laughs> like, yeah, let's probably. be honest, like the people around her, the, the media and whatsoever, they still put the pressure on you. Like you might yeah. think that, that that way, and she's right, like in a way with what she said, right? That she has already won it, like she doesn't really have to do anything else. However, with the pressure around her and like how everyone is just, you know, at every single coaching change in her team, at every single injury, there's a number of stories, right? She still remains one of the most like, I don't know, marketable and and players who get the clicks. So it's rough to handle that, definitely. And, And it would be weird even if she actually had no issues with that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. In a way, it's kind of good for her to just have like a clean, fresh start and just kind of, you know, pretend that the US Open didn't happen, (laughs) even though obviously it did and it was a huge, massive moment. But now, like, and like, no matter what, she'll always have that. So it's like she can just start from ground zero now and just kind of work her way back up to the elevator because it's like she just straight went to the very top, but like didn't take any of the steps in order to get there because like she was just so new and it was just like, Something that we're just never going to see again, probably like qualifier winning a major. <laughs> right. I, 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 the problem is I don't, I, 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 I don't blame Emma on it, but I think there's a lot of things going on around her for this. But I don't know if I always believe everything that she says. 
uh, for one reason or another. And it's not entirely because of her. But like I say, with those two statements, they thought the, the one at Wimbledon was, was interesting and actually almost refreshing. And yet, as Damien highlighted, it probably wasn't the truth. Um, and there's also this thing about the the media endor- uh, media sorry the endorsements and stuff like that. When they were all happening in the immediate aftermath of that U.S. Open win, I was reminded of how um, Alex Ferguson and I'm talking 25 years ago was extremely protective over Ryan Giggs, who was at the same age and was having the same things going on because he was a good-looking teenager who was taking the world by storm by playing unbelievable uh, football. And basically, uh, Ferguson just said, "Look." you're not you're not doing this you're not talking to the media that often you're not the person who's grabbing the microphone after the match and you're certainly not flying off to different countries to sign various deals and he lost control with beckham and that's one of the reasons he sold him so um so i've gone from gigs i've gone to beckham and now i'm bringing it to the presence with raducanu when she was doing all those deals i was thinking to myself but i, I could be wrong and only emma and, and the people close to her will know uh, this is funny from ghosting, by the way. Um, yeah, we were only uh, a few hours into the new year and there was an idea. Alex, funny there was a book out there about... Um, yeah, I, I, I read a great book recently. Yeah. just wanted to say that. Um, what was it called? Um, defeats. Even the losses? No, even the defeats. Yeah, even the go. defeats. Yeah. Yeah. 58 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Plug for the book. Uh, tick. Um, yeah, and I just thought that Emma... Um, I don't know. I, I I just thought about this. That, that I don't think she she doesn't need to do the British Airways and the um, the water and the the car. I think I don't know which car it was that she had a deal with. And this is just off the top of my head. She'll probably have dozens more. Never mind. I, I, you need a few. You need your basics. Your, your your clothing and all that. Fine. And maybe a watch or two or whatever. That's enough to get mm-hmm. back to playing tennis. Um, yeah. There we go. I've had my little, but then that's maybe just me. Maybe I'm old school and, and maybe I'm not with the, with the kids and with the times. Um, I don't know. Okay. Emma Raducanu, tick. Alex Ferguson, book reference, tick. Won't be the first time this year. I'm sure I'll be referencing my book. Uh, Vanch, if you had a book, I would plug it. And same with you, Damien, but you don't. But you do have a Twitter account <laughs> with 500 followers for the Eagle and Colour Show. But I know, by the way, how many followers do you have on Twitter, Damien? Um, 6,000? 7,600? So between you, you're you're between you, you're close to twenty thousand followers on Twitter, which isn't too bad for, for two individuals. Now, of course, most of those followers will be the same, but but anyway, do check mm. out the, the guys on on Twitter. Um, and there's a reason why uh they have so many followers. Um Ghosty agrees with me, so that's great as well. We've already agreed after an hour of our shows in twenty twenty-four. Once again, I did try this five minutes ago. We'll do it again. Vanch, big thanks for joining. Yep, thanks a lot. And Damien too, as well. It's a pleasure. Damien will be um, hopefully bringing us the Rafa Nadal-Dominic team match. So make sure you hit like, make sure you subscribe, click the notification bell, and join Damien in seven hours for that match. Pray for me not to fall asleep before it. And also thank you, AR, for the uh, praise in the chat. We uh, definitely appreciate it and we'll keep trying to bring that content um, probably in the next episode after the United Cup or after Poland falls out of the United Cup. We'll see. I don't know what, what this ghosty comment is. <laughs> on that bombshell, <laughs> on that bombshell, we will uh, now sail off into the distance and uh, see you all in a few hours. Cheers, fans. Cheers, Daniel. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this video, 
make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.